Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. A recent poll we conducted on LinkedIn found that 75% of you feel you need support in keeping up to date with employment law this year. And with things like sick leave, protective disclosures, gender pay gap reporting, and much more on the watch list, we completely understand why many of you are feeling a little bit worried about keeping up to speed. So let us help. Let's talk about this topic today. We're delighted to be joined by Megan Power, HR consultant here at Inside HR. Thanks for joining us, Megan. How are you? I'm good, Owen. I'm good, and I couldn't agree more. There's a lot. There's a lot of changes um, coming into effect this year. So a great topic to be here today talking about. Brilliant. And we try to fit in as much as we can. And again, we're also joined by our very own Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. How are you, Liam? Very well, thanks, Owen. Brilliant stuff. So look, a lot to get through, as Megan said, so we'll, we'll jump right in. We'll take a look at, I suppose, some of the main employment law news items for the year ahead. There's obviously more, and you can find those on our blog and in our webinar uh, tomorrow, but we'll get through as much as we can on the podcast here today. Um, so look, I suppose, Megan, first one up, sick leave, I think it's something that has been, I suppose, well-versed or well-published in the headlines, and I suppose a lot of people are hopefully well-versed on it. Um, but what's the latest update here, Megan, with sick leave? Thanks, Owen. Yes, so the Sick Leave Act took effect from the 1st of January this year, and many employers will probably now have already had some experience with this since the new year began. As um, We saw a significantly high rate of sickness kind of over the Christmas period and into the new year, didn't we? And um, all employees who have 13-week service with their employer are entitled to their three days um, sick leave. Per annum. However, they must provide a medical cert um, from day one in order to receive this. And the rate of pay is 70% of an employee's wage, subject to a cap of 110 euros per day. Now, employers, I suppose they can offer a scheme over and above this. For example, they may not, they may choose not to cap that payment. Um, however, in making any decisions about this, um, they should be planning for future amends to the legislation that we are expecting. So the leave entitlements increasing to five days in 2024, seven in 2025, and finally to 10 in 2026. Um, employers, I suppose, also need to be aware that even if their scheme is more generous, if it requires, for example, three months service to be eligible, um, that the gap there will need to be filled. Um, so anyone with 13 week service is entitled um, to that sick pay. Um, and I would also advise those that have employees on long-term sick who may have exhausted their entitlement to sick leave um, that they too, you know, have that entitlement um, as a minimum since the 1st of January. Brilliant. So I suppose just to kind of build a little bit on that, Megan, I suppose what's your advice then? I know you've mentioned a couple of things there. But what's your advice generally then to employers and HR teams kind of staying compliant with this? It's probably step one is getting versed on it, obviously, but step two is probably looking at policies, what you want to offer, that kind of thing, isn't it? Exactly that, Owen. And in the first instance, I suppose employees need to be informed of how these changes affect them. So policies should be updated. 
And if companies have never previously offered anything in relation to sick pay, clearly setting out what the policy is now, even if that means that it will be exactly as detailed within the Act, um, employees need to be aware of this. And that is really important to be communicated to all employees so that they know where they stand. And for companies that already offer a company sick pay scheme, it needs to be reviewed, like I was mentioning earlier, to ensure that it matches or it's more generous than the legislation for its employees. And um, so like that plugging the gap, if previously only offered after probation. Um, record keeping is also hugely important in keeping track of who's on sick leave and the payments made. Um, I find that HR systems can be really helpful in monitoring leave records such as these. I'm always an advocate for these where it makes sense um, for the company to have these in place. Definitely. And an important one to, as with the rest of the topics, an important one to, to keep up to date with. Um, Brian, so thanks for that, uh, Megan. I suppose kicking us off there with that. Um, Liam, another one that's been in the news, I suppose, and thankfully top of the headlines for quite a while now, because it was a bit of a journey to, to get to where we are, uh, gender pay gap, Liam. Um, so I suppose what's the, I sp- again, we'll, we'll kind of keep it simple. I know a lot of people will know the, the law here, but what is the, I suppose, latest update with the, the gender pay gap reporting? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's an important piece of legislation. I suppose the, the, the legal piece, I mean, the Gender Pay Gap Information Act was, was signed into legislation in July 2021. Um, and I suppose what it applies is, is to those currently with uh, employees or employers who have greater than 250 employees and it, and it widens the scope out to employers with 150 or more in 2024 and to employers with 50 or more um, in 2025 in terms of, I suppose, justifying and outlining any gender pay gap um, that exists within their organisation. Under the legislation, essentially employers are required to publish information on their gender pay gap, um, specifically gender pay differences. I suppose from the technical point of view in terms of mean and, and median hourly rates of pay, mean and median bonus payments, and the percentage of, of employees paid a bonus or, or benefits in kind. And beyond that, I suppose, organizations typically are required to justify why there is a difference um, in terms of uh, the rate of pay. Um, and and this information is should be published um, initially on the organization's um, website. Um, and in, in future years, there's going to be a central, central portal or a central government-based portal which will contain that information so it is an important piece of legislation which organizations need to be aware of and hr departments need to i suppose be aware of and ensure that they're complying with it on 100 and there's a a couple of podcasts and we did actually last year on this so if anyone wants a bit more heavy detail on that because there's a lot in there um, i'd advise having a listen to that Um, and we have actually seen a lot of Companies come out with their with their results already, which is fantastic to see. Um, obviously, some of the, the news isn't where we want it to be, but it's great to see people putting it out there at least. Um, so I suppose, Liam, for those who aren't within that threshold, as you mentioned yet, so I know it applies to companies with more than 250 employees now, but I suppose for the other companies who will be facing the, the reporting schedule or scheme next year and beyond, is there anything they should be kind of doing now ahead of time? I suppose they can be a little bit proactive in the, in a sense, can't they? Yeah, absolutely, Owen. I mean, I, I think what one of the... One of the key challenges for most organisations in 2023 is, is the whole area of recruitment and retention. We've spoken about the tight labour market and 4.4% unemployment. So I think in terms of attracting people, um, 
one of the areas which can be of benefit to organizations is setting out what what their um, strategy is in, in relation to closing any gender pay gap which which may exist and and one organization which received very positive feedback um, across the media in that regard was on post and and they reported a zero gender pay gap for a second year um, and and they became I suppose the first organization to report zero percentage pay gap for for two years in a row. And it was highlighted in terms of the female representation at a very senior level within the organization had had increased. And I suppose that had a twofold benefit, obviously in terms of the positive um, media feedback in terms of the organization, but obviously from a recruitment drive and a recruitment strategy uh, to attract more diverse talent in relation to their organization right across the organization, that's really been a benefit to them. So I think we'd be outlining what should organizations do. Well, look, if you're having a challenge in relation to recruitment and retention, this is something you can can have a very, very quick win on. Um, I would encourage organizations on the, the legislation sets out that I think you have to have over, when we get on to, I think it's 2025, it's going to go all the way to organizations with 50 employees or, or more. But I, I'd be setting out to everyone, every organization, I mean, I think while those with 20 or 30 staff are not legislatively required to, to publish their, their pen gender pay gap um, analysis, it's something that they should be doing anyway, I think. Um, and I think if organizations look at this um, and see the positives of it in terms of reaching out to, to other areas of society and other areas of potentially a recruitment pool, that it will benefit the organization, have far-reaching benefits for most organizations. 100%. I need to mention one success story there, Liam from OnPost, who've done great work there, and we'll actually be speaking to OnPost on this podcast in a couple of weeks, so I'd advise people great. to jump back in for that, um, for who's ever interested in that kind of topic. I know that'll be a, a good one, so really looking forward to that. Um, so back to you, Megan, I suppose another potentially straightforward one, I know that's kind of a, a word that can be a little bit optimistic sometimes, but national minimum wage, Megan, is that kind of a straightforward one here? What's the latest on that? Yeah, thanks, Owen. So yeah, we have seen the national national minimum wage take a bit of a jump. The first of January, um, it increased from ten fifty to eleven thirty, um, per hour. A simple yet very important change. Brilliant stuff. Um, and I suppose then again, Megan, the advice to employers, HR teams, kind of staying compliant with this, although it seems a little bit simple. I suppose when it's written there, I suppose the actual process of staying compliant and keeping people up to date is probably a little bit takes a bit more work, doesn't it? Yeah, I think my advice on this own would be twofold. So for those employers um, that have employees on minimum wage, it's changed to their terms and conditions. They need to be informed of this increase in an addendum um, to their contract letter, for example. And employers need to ensure it takes effect immediately from the 1st of January. I suppose in our view, no employee should have to come looking for their increase as it's their statutory right to be paid it. Um, Secondly, it is it is quite an increase and employers are likely going to find themselves with other employees who were paid, I suppose, over but not significantly above the minimum wage and who are arguably in more senior positions or who have more experience. Um, and these employees will arguably ask, be asking about their pay rise. Um, and I do think employers need to be mindful and make a plan for this as it does have the potential to cause discontent and staff turnover in an increasingly difficult um, labour market. Um, and I do think um, this this increase to minimum wage, um, it 
does bring into focus for employees the issue of a pay rise in, in 2023. Um, even those earning well above the minimum wage will be looking at this and the cost of living crisis and possibly wondering where they stand. Um, and for me, employers need to be ready for those conversations. So regardless of whether increases are coming or not, um, I do think employees will be certainly looking to have um, that discussion. So employers need to you know, be prepared um, in their responses around the issues of pay rises this year. 100% and I suppose similar to the Sick Leave Act, it's kind of one of those things that brings in a, a new baseline as well. So there will be kind of a rippling effect across across other areas. So thanks for that, Megan. Definitely, although it seems straightforward, definitely a very important one for a lot of employers out there. Um, back to you again for this one, Megan, and I'm not going to use the word <laughs> straightforward for this one because we know protected disclosures um, can be a little bit of a tricky one. Um, so if you're going to, I suppose it'll be a little bit trickier than the last one, Megan, but can you, can you give us an overview of what the, the latest update with protected disclosures and whistleblowing is? Yeah, definitely not as simple, um, but I will try to keep it so so employers can and make sense of their obligations in this area. So um, what is the Protectors Disclosures Act 2014? It's an act um, that came into effect that looked to protect those who speak up about wrongdoing in the workplace. So reporting people or whistleblowers as they're possibly more well known um, should not be treated unfairly or indeed lose their employment because they've spoken up about unlawful or improper behaviour. Um, the act sets out how wrongdoing can be reported and how um, such people should be protected from penalisation. Um, and it was amended in 2022. And there are now new obligations and, and new changes as a result. So it, it's mainly made the following changes. So in, in, in first, I suppose the scope has been widened to include board members, shareholders, job applicants and volunteers. So now as a whole, the act applies to employees, agency workers, contractors, trainees, volunteers, board members, shareholders and job applicants. And certain employers are now required to establish formal reporting channels for their workers to report wrongdoing. And failure to establish such challenges may result in criminal penalties. And penalisation of a reporting person or whistleblower is now a criminal offence. And the burden of proof has also been reversed in favour of workers who take civil proceedings against their employer for penalisation. Definitely, and I suppose it's a question we keep asking, but I suppose in this regard, Megan, with protective disclosures, what's the advice here for, for HR teams and employers for staying compliant? Again, it's just being well versed and, and going from there, isn't it? And it's about understanding how the legislation affects them. So mm. all companies with 250 or more employees must establish internal channels for their workers to report wrongdoing. But from the 17th of December this year, and um, this requirement will apply to all organisations with 50 or more employees. Now, there are some exceptions to this as well. Um, so all organisations subject to EU laws and regulations in the areas of financial services, prevention of money laundering and terrorist financing, transport safety and safety of offshore gas and oil operations, must establish internal channels now regardless of size and also all public sector organisations must also establish um, internal channels regardless of, of size. Um, so employers need to examine their existing policies and make the necessary amendments. So having a strong reporting structure in an existing policy now won't be enough. So when we talk about this internal channel, um, what it means is it should be a dedicated channel that's designed and operated in a secure GDPR compliant manner 
and that ensures confidentiality for the reporting person and any other persons um, named um, in the report. They should designate a person or a function um, to operate the channel and this person or function should be um, appropriately trained but also should have the sufficient independence and authority within the organisation you know, to carry out um, this role. Um, and the company must promote the existence of it and ensure that workers have access to the procedures under which it operates. Um, they can choose to outsource um, the channel um, if they wish as well. There would also be a couple of additional requirements not seen before. Um, so acknowledgement of all reports of wrongdoing um, must be done within seven days. There should be proof of diligent follow-up of any reports received. Um, there now needs to be a structure in place for feedback. So the provision of feedback to the reporting persons on actions taken or envisioned to be taken um, within three months. A statement of policy as regards to the conditions, if, if there is any under how kind of anonymous um, reporting will be followed up and the provision of information on how to report externally to a prescribed person um, or the protective disclosures commissioner. Um, so quite a bit, quite a bit there. Um, and indeed it does mean overhauling your whistleblowing policy if one did exist or the creation of one from scratch if it didn't, but a really important one um, and one you know that we would say to seek HR advice on, um, you know, if unfamiliar or, or uncertain around um, the legislation, because indeed it is quite complex. Definitely. It's not one of those where I suppose even having the conversation around things like whistleblowing will have a, an effect, I suppose, with a lot of company cultures and that kind of thing. So another great update there and, and a, a very, very um, solid attempt at, at breaking that down for us, Megan, because I know that was a tricky one. But if, if, if even I understood you there, then that's, that's a good thing because I wouldn't have deep knowledge on this so really appreciate that one um so Liam I suppose kind of another big one and probably the, the last one we'll, we'll talk about because it's quite a large one so the, the right to request to remote working Liam um it kind of snuck in over Christmas despite getting a lot of kind of fanfare last year um there were a whole remote remote working piece what stage are we at with the with the law at the moment yeah sure on I mean I I suppose essentially what happened was that the the right to request remote working was essentially incorporated into what's called the Work-Life Balance and Miscellaneous Provisions Bill, um, which is, is still working its way through the doll. So I suppose, essentially, um, the updated legislation plans to address a number of areas, um, which came up last year in terms of there was a, f a general feeling that the, the right to request remote working was too employer-led, i.e. the the employer had, I think it was up to 13 different grounds under which a, a, an employer could refuse the request. And there was also a general sort of catch-all business grounds provision, uh, in inverted commas. And that was seen by many in society as being too, um, shifting the emphasis too much towards the employer. So the employer could essentially say, oh, well, look, on business grounds, we're, we're, not, we're not in a position to facilitate your, your remote working request. So... The new legislation is essentially addressing that, and it does a couple of things. One, it requires employers to take into consideration the needs of the employer, but also the needs of employees when considering a request. So that's that's an important change. 
and employers are also required to have regard to a code of practice. And a new facet to, to the legislation as well is that under the new bill, the integrated bill, a complaint can be taken to the Workplace Relations Commission where an employer hasn't complied with the code of practice or other requirements of the bill. And I suppose that represents an enhanced right for employees under the, the legislation um, when compared with the, the original bill. Um, so I think it's important for employers to be aware of that. Um, I know, you know, remote working on, hybrid working, um, that's been around for a number of years. I think what this bill tries to do is, is set that out in legislation. Um, I suppose another aspect of the legislation is that included in it is there will be a review of, of flexible working which should take place after two years. And this review will also include a consideration of whether the right to request flexible working should be extended to all workers. Now, we don't know what type of review that's going to be or, or what that's mm -hmm. going to mean in practical terms. I mean, famously in the doll, I think somebody said, you know, the bus driver can't drive the bus remotely. And, you know, that's a fair statement because, you know, two, two years on, three years on, there will still be roles which will require a person to be on site. Um, and there will be still be roles which which won't have a remote aspect to it. But I think in many cases now, more and more employers um, are, are of the view, rightly, I think, that the world of work has changed um, irrevocably. Um, so if... If you have a role, unless it's fairly obvious that the bus driver cannot drive the bus remotely or from his or her, you know, kitchen table or, you know, um, living room or whatever it may be, employers will have to be aware of this and comply with this. And I suppose this is pushing the emphasis further and further in terms of requiring organizations to actually think about work and think about job design and how how the work and the manner in which it's going to be performed and, and conducted and done is going to change over the years in the future. Um, so it's an interesting piece of, of, of legislation. I think one of the key things for certainly the, the trade union movement we're looking for was sort of they certainly felt that the 13 grounds, you know, gave too much scope for a employer to refuse the, the, the request and specifically the sort of, I suppose, almost it was seen as a catch-all business grounds. Uh, whereas now that's been, I suppose, Linda, that yes, the business needs are, are important, but so are the employee needs. So it's trying to rebalance that and that if an employee feels unhappy, um, either in relation to the employer not complying with the code of practice or the requirements of the bill, that they can take a complaint to the WRC, which wasn't in the original uh, legislation. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's sort of, rebalancing things and and putting more more requirements on the employer and and sort of giving the employee a, a little bit more um rights as it were definitely and it'd be interesting to see how that one develops i suppose it's still going through the stages now but absolutely from what we know anyway it's yeah it's definitely something that's good progress um and kind of building i suppose on one of your points there liam i suppose what's the kind of feeling on the ground because i know obviously there was a lot of fanfare around this bill kind of early 2022 because at the time i think or even 21 Going back as far as that, there was kind of heightened mm -hmm. need for guidance, wasn't there? Yeah. Whereas I'm kind of thinking, and to play devil's advocate here, is there now just going to be kind of the application of some kind of finishing touches on some already kind of widespread practices, if you know what I mean, when this when it comes in? Uh, uh, absolutely. 
Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think most organizations, in my view, have found a sort of balance in terms of um, the hybrid working and remote working model. Um, I do know, and, and, and Megan is, is, is supporting our, our clients very much in this regard, I know many organizations are trying to keep um, collaboration and person-to-person contact within that. They're looking for the social aspect of work. And certainly many younger graduates in particular want to be um, in a communal workforce and interacting with people on a daily basis. So I think I think you were on the, the discussion we had with Jennifer Cashman um, earlier, or it must have been last week, Owen, and I think Jennifer made a very good point. It was that, you know, if if an employer is requesting an employee to come in to, to head office, uh, you know, why? Why am I being asked to come in Tuesday and Thursday to, to head office? And, you know, the employee wants to know, okay, well, you know, who else will be in the office? What will the collaboration be? What's the work design? What type of projects are we going to be working on? If it's just for me to come in to Tuesday and Thursday and there's going to be no one else in the office with me, why, why would I face the one and a half hour commute both ways? Uh, that was mm. to be, you know, um, self-defeating prophecy. So, you know, I think most employers and employees have found a happy medium in terms of agreeing the parameters uh, around this. I think it suits a lot of employees in certain aspects to work from home certain days and work, work in the office. Um, there are some issues around it where an employer is saying, I require you to be in the office. The employee is saying, well, no, actually, I can do my job um, remotely. And um, that's that's still being navigated through, I'd say, Owen. So you are right, I think, broadly speaking, probably like a lot of things in life, the legislation probably reflects the reality of what's going on on the ground. Um, there's no doubt um, remote and hybrid working um, is here to stay. And as Megan would know from the recruitment side, certainly if you're recruiting, I suppose, professional-based roles in certain instances, unless there's some level of hybrid working or remote working with it, you're really going to struggle. And I think one of the the challenges for organizations, and at an organization with me, who are a retail organization, a a high street based organization, and it's trying to reconfigure the offering for the pool of talent who are out there who are going to work in bar and retail and catering who are going to be based on site. And like the example I've given you, you know, someone can't serve the, the cappuccino remotely. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how they're going to reconfigure that offering because it is a war for talent and how are they going to get people to a head office or high street based location when that same person can work remotely from possibly their bedroom or the kitchen or the level table um, in a worldwide sense. So that's that's a difficulty for, for certainly for some employers. Definitely, that's something we spend a, a good bit of time on tomorrow with Jennifer Cashman, as you said, Liam, and tomorrow's webinar. Um, the link is in our show description there, so do do please um, sign up for that if you need more in-depth uh, discussion and some advice there. Um, and I suppose I haven't hidden the plug here now very well, Megan, if I'm honest. But I suppose with the final question to both yourselves, and I'll come to yourself first, Megan, is I suppose what's the advice for HR teams, organisations trying to keep up to date with employment law? Where, where should they go? What should they do? I think... Um, in our profession, on its continuing professional development is is so important, and legislation is um, constantly changing. Um, and 
suppose it's not just the legislation, it's keeping up with, with best practice and um, to stay com- competitive as well and an ever-increasing difficult labour market. Um, so keeping up to date with your, yeah, I'm a huge advocate and I will certainly be attending um, the webinar tomorrow. If those are just, they provide vital you know, information and help guide HR professionals on on where they where they need to go because um, oftentimes these changes we can't be reactive. We can't be reactive to the national minimum wage because we need to have budgeted. You know, you, you need to have budgeted for it, um, and how that then has a knock on effect on on your other salaries within within um, a company. So um, it's staying. It's trying to stay ahead of the changes keeping up to date, constantly, I suppose, looking to be attending webinars, reading blogs, listening to podcasts. Um, Those sorts of things for me are hugely, are hugely important. And if you don't um, understand something like the Protectors Disclosures Act now, you know, that would be a complicated um, change for, for HR professionals who haven't had much dealings with it yet or who are unfamiliar. So it's about reaching out and seeking that and um, seeking that advice to make sure that what you are implementing um, is fit for purpose. I suppose kind of similar question to yourself, Liam. I don't want to kind of load this statement with fear because it's it's just more realistic than anything else. It's just it's the kind of thing you don't really want to get wrong in in business, Liam. Is it? Uh, ab- absolutely, and I couldn't agree more. And you know, it's it's echoing what what Megan has said. It's being proactive. And it, it's trying to, I suppose, influence and, and control situations which are, are coming around the corner. Um, I suppose in a, in a wide sense, we know that the costs of employment are increasing from a salary point of view. Um, the, the costs to businesses, which Megan mentioned in terms of budgeting, you're going to have some sort of pension or auto-enrollment likely in 2024. That's going to increase the costs to, to businesses. We have the living wage legislation, which is is coming on stream, which may affect many organisations, which may be paying people at a a lower level. We have the Sick Leave Act. There's the whole administrative burden around that in terms of finance departments and HR departments. And then I suppose there's the genuine, the, the, the sense of the legislation from an equality point of view and diversity point of view and protected disclosures, which Megan has mentioned, that the parameters in terms of the definitions and the broad definitions of the legislation are getting increased and increased and increased and something which maybe five years ago wouldn't have been considered um, a disability under equality legislation is now very much considered a disability and and Mm -hmm. similarly for what what Megan has discussed in terms of protected disclosures. So I think all my advice to to HR departments and, and managers and leaders is to breathe and to just take things one step at a time and to try and make sure that you really understand the legislation and its impact. And sometimes that needs taking advice from someone like Insight HR. Um, but what, you know, as, as we've discovered on with myself and yourself and on our call with, with Jennifer, something that appears straightforward you know, isn't really that straightforward. And while the legislation at the top level in terms of the Sick Leave Act, I know we're waiting for regulations, um, there's a lot to be set out in terms of timeframes and reference periods, etc. Um, and I think there will be, you know, there will be employers who will be, I suppose, taken to the WRC, and that will probably inform more than anything else in terms of 
how the Workplace Relations Commission treat claims which come before them. So I think my, my mm-hmm. best advice is probably to, you know, stay in touch, obviously, with ourselves in terms of webinars or, or podcasts and, and the wider audience or media in terms of, of claims or case law, which which might come up. 100%. I think, I suppose, it's been a it's been a busy time for, for employment law, but I'm sure we'll be here again this time next year talking about another raft of changes, which, again, I know is a challenge, but it's good news because things are always progressing, changing and that kind of stuff, even, even though it might be a little bit of a headache trying to keep up. I suppose we are. We will see the benefits from it, which is fantastic. Uh, so, look, thank you, Megan and Liam, for a very kind of insightful discussion there. A lot to fit in, so I'm delighted we, we, we got so much, got through so much there, so I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast, so don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels and do send in any questions to us as well through our email, our socials, any of that kind of thing. Um, as Liam said, for further guidance, do make sure to sign up to tomorrow's webinar. We'll, we'll be joined live by Jennifer Cashman to bring you, I suppose, even more employment law updates for the year ahead and hopefully uh, get some more questions from me and, and make you feel at ease with what's coming. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Megan, and thank you, Liam. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.